You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. I'll explain, and I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Hacking Humans podcast, an occasional series we call Hacking Humans Goes to the Movies. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is my CyberWire colleague, Rick Howard. Hello, Rick. Hey, Dave. On this show, Rick and I look at some of our favorite clips from cinema and television, clips which demonstrate some of the scams and schemes that Joe Kerrigan and I talk about on Hacking Humans. We've got some fun clips to share, so stay tuned. We'll be right back after this message from our show sponsor. All right, Rick, uh, we've got some good stuff to share this week. Uh, These (laughs) are some fun ones, and uh, I'm going to lead things off here. My clip this time comes from one of my most favorite films in the world, and that is The Princess Bride. Oh, yes. Okay. Are you kidding me? I love that movie. I was just going to say, Rick, what do you think of this movie? (laughs) How many times have I watched it? What, 20, 30 times in my lifetime? Must be. Yeah. It's It's one of those movies that if you're flipping through channels and it's on, you just have to stop Mm -hmm. and watch the rest of it, right? Yep. 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 (laughs) So. Wait, the, the sword fight's coming on. Oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah. stop and watch that. Or, right, yeah, exactly. Whatever. <laughs> For those uh, handful of folks in the world who may not be familiar with this gem of a film, uh, this is a 1987 American fantasy adventure. I, I'm reading from Wikipedia, by the way. Uh, it was the directed and co-produced. Source, yeah. <laughs> yep, directed and co-produced by Rob Reiner, uh, starring uh, Carrie L. L. Ulls. I can never say his last name right. Me neither. Yeah, Robin Wright, Mandy Patinkin, <laughs> Chris Sarandon, uh, Susan's brother, Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant, and Christopher Guest. And this is um, from the 1973 novel by William Goldman. Uh, Which I've read, st- by the way. I yeah, have too. So. I have too. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, in fact, I'm trying to think. No, I, I, th- I did read the book after I saw the movie. Yeah. Yeah, much yeah. after for me. Yeah. Uh, it says, uh, it tells the story of a swashbuckling farmhand named Wesley accompanied by companions befriended along the way who must rescue his true love, Princess Buttercup, from the odious Prince Humperdinck. The film preserves the novel's (laughs) metafictional narrative style by presenting the story as a book being read by a grandfather to his sick grandson. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a delightful movie, a fun movie, funny, there's action, there's something for everyone here, Uh, a real cult classic. Uh, So this clip comes from toward the end of the film. And in this scene, Wesley, uh, who has taken on the persona of the Dread Pirate Roberts, uh, he, along with Inigo Montoya and Fezig, have infiltrated the castle of the evil Prince Humperdinck. And Prince Humperdinck has plans to kill Princess Buttercup so he can blame the neighboring uh, country of Gilder and start a war with them. And Wesley is in very bad shape at this point in the film. He's been drained of most of his life by the six-fingered man's torture device, which is a big part of the film. (laughs) He's been brought back to life by Miracle Max, played by Billy Crystal. Of course. (laughs) Another uh, iconic scene. So as we join this scene, 
He's Wesley, only merely dead, or, or whatever the Right, right. Is. He's mostly dead. Mostly, mostly dead. dead. Which, which is a little alive. <laughs> so uh, as we join this scene, Wesley is lying on a bed. He is too weak to move. Buttercup is comforting him. She's sitting by his side. Uh, and Wesley is reassuring her that she's not actually married to Prince Humperdinck. Uh, into the room comes Prince Humperdinck, and we have this confrontation. He didn't say it. He didn't do it. Wouldn't you agree, Your Highness? A technicality that will shortly be remedied. But first things first. To the death. Pulls out no. a sword. To the pain. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. I'll explain, and I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. That may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. It won't be the last. To the pain means the first thing you lose will be your feet below the ankles. Then your hands at the wrists. Next your nose. And then my tongue, I suppose. I killed you too quickly the last time. A mistake I don't mean to duplicate tonight. I wasn't finished. The next thing you lose will be your left eye, followed by your right. And then my ears, I understand. Let's get on with it. Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. So that every shriek of every child at seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps at your approach, every woman who cries out, Dear God, what is that thing? will echo in your perfect ears. That is what the pain means. It means I leave you in anguish wallowing in freakish misery forever. I think you're bluffing. It's possible, pig. I might be bluffing. It's conceivable, you miserable, vomitous mass. But I'm only lying here because I lack the strength to stand. But then again, perhaps I have the strength after all. out of the bed, raises his sword toward Trump. Prince Humperdinck. Your sword. <laughs> Have a seat. And Humperdinck drops the sword, runs to the chair. <laughs> and me- meek- meekly sits down, right? <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love that scene. So... A little bit of deception here, Rick. Would describe to us what's what exactly is uh, is uh, is Wesley doing here to Prince Humperdinck? This is the classic hacker social engineer move. Okay, mm-hmm. fake it till you make it. Right, <laughs> just assume and act like you know what you're doing. Okay, and then hopefully everybody will leave you alone and believe the story you're trying to tell. Right, and what I love about that scene is that everybody that's watching the movie knows that he can't possibly even barely lift that sword. Okay? Right. We're going, what the hell is he doing here? What is, how is he pressing this advantage? I, and of course it works uh, brilliantly. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a bit of a note here on uh, the acting here. Uh, Carrie, the, the actor who plays Wesley during his entire speech to Prince Humperdinck 
as he's you know spewing these uh, these invectives towards him, you know, you, you, which I love. Uh, he does not blink once. He is, oh, he is dead. St- if you watch the clip again, he is dead staring at him, and he does not blink once. And it is just as you say, it's one of those. Uh, intimidating things where you can have the psychological advantage over your adversary. And that's 100% what this is, right? Yeah. Because the whole story of the Dread Pirate Roberts is he's this fantastic swordsman, right? And he's a legend in the land. And so when he says, I'm going to do all these horrible things to you, Prince Humperdinck, um, and he gives it with such force, um, Prince Humperdinck does nothing but yeah, okay, I believe him. <laughs> I believe yeah. him completely. <laughs> yeah, it's also interesting how uh, Prince Humperdinck tries to call him on his bluff, and he doubles down, and even set, calls it out and says, "Perhaps I'm too weak to move." But you know, do you want to risk that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and just uh, it, it's just a strength of personality, I think. And I think it, it's also it's also a mark of a great con man, all right? Because if I would have run into that situation, somebody called me on the bluff, I would have folded like a paper tissue, right? But <laughs> he he takes it to the next level, right? And it says he keeps pushing it until he can absolutely not push it anymore and and ultimately wins, right? So I guess that's the thing. Never give up. Never, right. ever, ever give up, <laughs> right? right? Stick, stick with the con. <laughs> double down. <laughs> yeah. Although in this case, Wesley is able to get out of the, or lift himself up, up out of the bed, at least temporarily, muster yeah. enough strength to, uh, well, to continue the con. Because the truth is, he is too weak to fight. Right. But he's at least he can do this one thing. Yeah. It's awesome a great stuff, movie, mate. and I could watch it over and over again. I could watch this one scene over and over again. It's just from start to finish. It's just a wonderful film, and I, I imagine uh, most of the people in our audience here are vigorously sh- uh, nodding their heads in agreement <laughs> of how much they yeah. love this movie. If you excuse me, let me just go watch it right now. I'll be right back. Too, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna take a two hour break while Rick goes and watches the rest of uh, Princess Bride. Uh, we'll be right back after this long message from our sponsor. Um, all right. That is what I have this time. Rick, what do you have for us? All right. So my clip this week is from the 2016 movie. Now you see me too, directed by John Chu. He's the guy that directed crazy rich aliens and the musical into the Heights that came out uh, during the COVID years. Did you say crazy Uh, rich aliens? Yeah. That's the name of it. Right. Crazy rich. Oh, Asians. (laughs) (laughs) Spell check. (laughs) I I remember going to the theater and seeing a movie called Crazy Rich Asians, and perhaps there was a sequel that I missed Uh, (laughs) that went in a different direction. (laughs) I want to see Crazy Rich Aliens, now that I mentioned it. Yeah, well, there you go. There's an idea. I did enjoy Crazy Rich Asians. I thought that was a fun fun flick. So did I. I love it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so this movie is a sequel to the 2013 Now You See Me, and the plot has four professional magicians using their skills to outcon a con man. They are called in the movie uh, The Four Horsemen, and they're played by Jesse Eisenberg, known for The Social Network and Zombieland, one of my favorite zombie movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Franco for Superbad and 21 Jump Street. Woody Harrelson from one of our favorite TV shows, uh, Dave Cheers and right. Zombieland. Okay. <laughs> right. And Lizzie Kaplan, known for True Blood and Masters of Sex. And in this scene, the four horsemen have a mission to steal a highly sophisticated processing card installed in an advanced computer system, you know, for reasons. 
<laughs> right. And, of course. Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> the plot demands it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And they have, so they have to walk into a highly secure data processing room in broad daylight with at least four guards wearing gray uniforms and at least three technicians wearing white lab coats. And I say at least because I can't tell how many people are in there from the clip. There's a bunch. And, <laughs> and a facilities director wearing a suit. And there is a sensitive walkthrough metal detector that makes sure nobody coming in and out of the room has any metal. And that will be an important plot point uh, at the end of this. Mm. So, and this is really complicated, Ace. So you're going to have to help me uh, uh, explain all these things. Uh, there's lots of moves going on, so we'll, we'll give it a roll. So, All right. So we're starting off here. Now, my initial impression of this, having not seen the movie, is that this is one of those classic kind of underground bunkers, you know, lit yeah. with lots of fluorescent lighting and everything's high tech and metal and glass and fluorescence. And, and as you say, there's this giant, uh, like the, the world's most sophisticated airport <laughs> scanner that you have to go through to get into this highly secure area with all these guards around. So as yeah, we like pick an- up the clip, that, that's where they are. Yeah, it's like an Apple store on steroids, only like seven <laughs> floors underground. Okay, right, so. right, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. That's a good description. All right, let's play the clip. All right. So Kaplan is the first one through the door, and she is dressed provocatively in a short leather skirt and wearing a lush red lipstick. Mm. Her outfit will be important later. Okay, so keep that in mind. Okay. Taut. It's good. Did you just find a thesaurus somewhere? New bile. It's good. Thank you. Okay, there we go. So everybody is kind of, as you do in an airport line, they're taking off any part of their clothing that would have metal elements, like their belts right. and their watches. Yep. And, okay, yep, exactly. Go. And next is Harrelson through the detector, and then Franco, who gets stopped by the metal detector because he on purpose forgets to remove his wallet. Right. Sorry. Send him back through. He hands the wallet to the light. guards. Yep. And, and that's going to be important later. Okay. Eisenberg makes it through, too. Yeah. I don't know. They walk into the big room. This is the housing. 820 million cubic miles of digisynaptic resonance. So what are we seeing at the center of the room here, Rick? So that's that big computer that we I was talking about before. And uh, uh, the director's going to explain its function here in a second. But it's okay. like you said, it's the Apple, it's the Apple room. Okay. Right. It's it's yeah. It's all white except for the computer that's all black. Right. Yes. <laughs> okay. Planet <laughs> is the processor, which we playfully refer to as the uh, magic broomstick. The broomstick it has the power to clear the contents of any computing system on the planet, and then magically sweep them into your bin. Oh. Broomstick. It's funny. Take a look. Vet it however you'd like. Until Hannes will be taking bids on Monday. Thank you. So that's Harrelson oh God, starting to sneeze, to causing the first diversion. Possibly be allergic to mm-hmm. it. This room is hermetically sealed. That's it. I'm allergic to hermetic seals. Yeah. That does Get him away from no, the I, computer, please. That's the one thing. That, Just until he's recovered. I'm allergic to hermetically sealed. So the director walks him, right? And, uh, and the guards and the technicians go with him. Kaplan pulls out a plastic hair clip from her head 
and hands it to Franco. I think it's medicine. And then Franco dives underneath the big computer, okay, while everybody's paying attention to Harrelson. And while he's under there, he's using that plastic clip to unlock a panel. Oh, right. Oh, here you go. If you're done, yeah. sorry about this. <laughs> okay, I'm okay. This happens. Meanwhile, Harrison's keeping everybody Allergies, busy. Yeah. Nothing you can do? Yeah, well, something you could do, doctor. Franco gets the card, and now he attaches it to a metal magnetic Ace of Spades playing card. Magnetic oh, okay. is important here, all right? Right. He These closes, guys are magicians. Yes, right? And he closes the panel up just as Harrelson has recovered from his sneezing fit and everybody returns to the center of the room. And then Franco shows up right where he was. But okay, I want to run full diagnostics the, the director suspects something and tells the guard to search him. All right, so stop the tape for a second, Dave. Mm-hmm. All right. So this begins this elaborate set piece. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's it's a they, magicians call it juggling cards or something called cardistry, hmm. right? And it is a this scene, this four minute scene, is like a whirlwind demonstration of sleight of hand, palming, back palming, sleeve manipulation, card vanishing, card skipping, and pickpocket techniques. All right, we're going to try to outline all of these as we go through this. Right, so <laughs> okay. so. Go ahead, roll the tape. Buddy. So the guard has Franco hold up his hands, palms facing in. The camera can clearly see the ace and Franco's hand hidden from the guard. The card has Franco flip his hands, palm out, and Franco quickly back palms the ace, held by spaces between his fingers. All right. The guard has Franco turn around, and Franco covers the card with his other hand and places a uh, pause it there way behind here. Yeah. All right, so the guard has Franco turn around, and Franco covers the card with his hand and places both hands on top of his head. The guard has him stretch his arms out to each side of the room, and Franco palms the ace one more time. As the guard moves to the front of Franco, and Franco quickly back palms the ace again, right? And then as the guard moves down Franco's body to search his pants, Franco flips the ace in the air towards his mouth, he sucks air in and captures the cart on his lips and the, then spits the ace down his bicep to the crook of his arm, right? <laughs> Pointing his hand up and hiding the card from the guard, right? Now, right. I, told, I told Dave this before we started filming this. These are all real techniques, okay? This is not fake. This is not CGI Hollywood magicry, okay? They, the actors and the stunt doubles in the scene did all these things. It might have taken them 100 times to get it right, but they actually performed all these stunts, right? Huh. So, wow, yeah, fascinating, all right? So roll the tape again. Yeah, so he just uh, flung the card to one of the other guys on the other side of the room, right? Yeah, he does this cardish remove, sending the ace across the room behind the mainframe in a looping arc. Just like you might throw a frisbee. Again, it took them 200 times to get that right, but they actually filmed it. Okay. Right? The camera follows the card around the mainframe and right into the right hand of Eisenberg, who is also being frisked by another guard. Eisenberg palms the ace, just like Franco, and then sends the ace down his sleeve, moving the card away from the guard as he gets frisked. He slides the card out of his other sleeve and then lets it drop on the floor. 
walk on my own. Kaplan nonchalantly steps on the cart and picks it up with the sole of her high-heeled shoes and then fakes a fall into another guard where she grabs the ace from her shoe with her right hand. What a She looks at both Eisenberg and Harrelson to flip the card to them, but they wave they wave her off because it's too risky. She palms the card as the guard tells her to raise her arms. She places the ace behind her hair and then down the front of her dress. The guard starts to look down her dress from the card and Kaplan backs him off. Hey, do that myself. She unhooks her bra and pulls it out from her dress. And this completely disarms the guards who don't know what to make of her at all, right? Yeah, yeah. She shows the bra to the guard by flipping it frontwards and backwards and each time hiding the haste behind uh, hey. the bra and then flips the bra across the floor. How do you like it? And the guard walks away as she slaps him on the backside and puts the ace in the guard's utility belt. As he walks by Harrelson, Harrelson pickpockets the card from the belt, palms it, coughs into his palm and attaches the card to a small rubber band system and a fake tip of his finger. And as he stretches his arms out to each side of the room from his fingers, touching Eisenberg's, who's doing the same thing, Eisenberg pulls on Harrelson's fake fingertip attached to the rubber band and the card travels through Harrelson's right sleeve across his body out to the left sleeve and into Eisenberg's right hand. The guard notices something and starts to, starts to search Eisenberg, but he has attached the ace magnetically to the inside of his suit jacket. The lining of the jacket is the same pattern as the outside of the ace, and the card appears to disappear, to vanish. Yeah, like camouflage. Oh, we're walking yeah. this way again. Yay. As the guards are walking the four horsemen out of the room, Eisenberg flips the ace to Harrelson, who flips the card to Kaplan. The language. See? What did I tell you, man? We didn't have anything. Who flips the card to Franco. Thanks, pal. Appreciate that. So Kaplan is the, in the lead, going out the room, then Eisenberg, followed by Franco, and followed by Harrelson at the end. Franco flips the ace behind him, and Harrelson makes an almost diving catch for it with his hat and tells the guards that he's doing a dance. It's a little about a big white dance floor. Makes me want to marry. Thanks for having us. It's great stuff. Now they have to walk through the metal detector. Jimmy, hold on. Oh, on the way out. On the way out. Yeah. And who has the card now? Harrelson has the card, right? Yeah. So Eisenberg goes through. Don John. Okay. Do I have all my things? I feel like I came in with more stuff. Did I come in with more stuff? Um, You don't think so. Kaplan goes through. Okay. I don't go. And just. I think think you still have my wallet. Remember, I, uh, I gave it to you when I came in. It would be nice to leave with it. Wallet coming through. All right, this is awesome, all right? Just as the wallet goes through and sets off the alarm, Eisenberg bangs on a gong decoration in the lobby as a diversion. Everybody looks in his direction, and Harrelson skips the ace across the floor and through the detector just as the wallet goes through right into Kaplan's fur coat. And done. Caper is complete. (laughs) Okay. Wow. What do you make of that, Dave? Oh, my God. Okay, so 
let me come at this from two different directions. First of all, this is a lot of fun. And you're right, all of the sleight of hand, it's all things that if, if you're a fan of magic, and, uh, and I am, um, you've seen magicians do this sort of card manipulation where they, you know, they can turn their hands forward and back and, and up and down, and they're somehow they're holding a card, but you don't see it. And that's what they're doing here. This is kind of like a greatest hits for every possible card manipulation uh, and distraction, misdirection, I guess, of, of the folks in the room that there could be. Um, I have to say, I've never, I've never seen this movie before. And while I was watching it, it got a little silly to me, <laughs> right? Like, like I, I am all for d d suspending my disbelief and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think th what I, I have, again, I have not seen this movie. So I suspect that this is one of those movies where there's a lot of suspending of disbelief. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. great fun. Great fun. What what was your take on it? Well, I, when I saw it, too, I had the similar first reaction. But then, like I said at the beginning of this, I, um, I said, well, how much of this was just movie magic? And, you know, where we have to, it's like putting superheroes in, you know, muscle suits, right? Right, uh, right. You know, is how much of this could actually work? And I stumbled on a clip from David Copperfield, the famous magician who's yeah. been around forever. And he was the one of the assistants on this movie with one of his producers. Huh. And he explained all the tricks so I could actually see them. And he said, yes, the actors did all the palming and the back palming and even some of the card skipping. And, uh, and some of the extras uh, did some of that card flipping. So all of those tricks were actually done. Okay. And he said, you know, I wouldn't recommend doing them in real life, especially in a four-minute sequence when all of them were done because you probably won't be successful. But right. Um, he says uh, that that all of that was true and could be done. So uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I've raised my impression of the movie. <laughs> I guess that's part of it is that there are uh, there are so many things where they have basically a one in a million chance of yeah. making this work, and yeah. every time it works, and that's yeah. part of the thrill. But again, you have to be for me. I had to be pretty liberal with my suspension of disbelief to to make that happen. This movie was a hit. I made it several hundred million dollars when it came out uh, a few years back. Well, I, and I will just point out a couple of things, too, especially if someone's trying to do a con on you. They use a number of techniques besides the trickery, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, a number of diversions, Harrelson sneezing, Kaplan's bra, Eisenberg's right. banging on the gun, and all of that is to misdirect you to something else while they do some shenanigans with the card, right? And mm -hmm. so, um, so that stuff is real enough, and I, you know, I kind of like that. Yeah, and all of these folks were already on guard; they were suspicious. Yes. That, so it's not like they were coming into some room where there was a bunch of uh, folks who, you know, weren't weren't in weren't up to the fact that maybe something could be going on, which makes which heightens the tension even more. Well, I've seen both of these movies, and uh, they're a lot of fun, okay? Uh, I don't think any of them will get an Oscar for any of this, right? But <laughs> okay. um, but if you're looking for a lightweight movie to watch on a Saturday, a rainy Saturday afternoon, uh -huh. I, I recommend both of these, okay? <laughs> All right. It's Now You See Me 2. Should you should you watch Now You See Me 1 before you watch 2? Is that... You don't have to, okay? So uh, <laughs> it's not that well, kind of movie. You're going to be missing but... out on any great plot points in between. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you.
All right. Well, that is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Rick Howard. Thanks for listening.